Rick, I have the uh, I have the Parlette record here that I'm showing. Um, you were oh, wow. <laughs> you were on that one. Um, what was it like working with the uh, ladies of PIFA? Well, <laughs> it's funny you would ask. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I ran into uh, not Don, but uh, the other guy, uh, Lynn. Lynn. Yeah, Lynn. Yeah, we were doing a session for. Yeah, it was out in uh, Hollywood. We were doing a session for Boots, I think, but then. Maybe he was using background singers. Oh, it was a commercial. That's what it was. It was like a Miller commercial. And uh, I think we were at uh, Herb Albert Studios. And anyway, she came around the corner and boom, there she was. She said, dang, I haven't seen you since back in the day. And she looked just like she did. I mean, she was just beautiful. Um, the two of them, uh, they were wonderful girls. I mean, they were just nice uh, I mean besides being talented they were just really good people the uh, Parlette uh, I had a little soft spot for and uh, of course the brides we did uh, that tour we, I guess we did a couple tours with them and as part of the deal but then we also did one where she they were the, the deal which was after we left Bootsy. Uh, it was just a little bit after, kind of like a transition. But they were, you know, really, really good, really good people. Wonderful girls. <laughs> now, were you were you were you part of that uh, anti tour in '78, or uh, was that the P Funk horns? Anti tour? No, that doesn't sound right. I always, I'm, that might uh, I just refer to them as the kids. <laughs> horns I think we call them. Yeah, I think that was them. Uh, but then didn't Greg Boyer was I remember maybe he was the, the next batch after that. But they I mean it wasn't like they didn't have some really great uh horn players come along. Uh Benny and uh, the Jets over there. <laughs> uh, obviously fantastic. He he all often reminded me of Kush, but um Did 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 you play on the um, pin the tail on the on the funky album or was that the P Funk Corns too by then? What was the subject? The album in seventy nine, the Parliament um, theme theme from the Black Hole and Big Bang Theory, that stuff was it? That doesn't sound like what we did. I think Motor was. I'm thinking that was the last one. That's that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah, um, I have the uh, second Horny Horns album here that I'm showing right now. Um, uh huh. And uh, was there anything that you guys talked about that you had hoped to do differently uh, on the on the second record from the first one that you remember? Well, I think we 
No, I don't think that well, we were actually in the loop. I think a lot of this stuff was between Fred and George and Bootsy as far as what was going to be on there. I think, didn't Muddy do one of these tunes? Uh, Mr. Melody Man or something like that? Yeah, that's on there. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I, I think it wasn't until the third one um, where we started realizing that we really were something unique. But and by that time, I think it was too late. Uh, you know, time had gone by. It, it, maybe if we'd been more attentive and more um, into that, Fred wouldn't have left. But it just seemed like uh, it was just like a second thought to the, the producers. You know, was, yeah, we want to do it, but it's, you know, we've got our trips to take care of first. So when you have that kind of situation and management, you could have been, you know, you could have had separate management or something to make that work. But at that time, we just, it just didn't seem like that was happening. But the time we got together to do that stuff was priceless. I mean, we were in it, I'm going to say it like that. Whatever it was, whatever they wanted us to do, we were, we were there. Well, the, the third record was, uh, the I mean, the one that came out later was called The Final Blow, which um, yeah, I'm, I'm showing that, that one too. One. Yeah. Yeah, that was musically was definitely the best. Now, the, really, the, on the first album, the piece uh, probably stands by itself. Man and Bells of the third uh, album, those two pieces were just magnificent. I mean, wow. Yeah, and I mean, performing, yes, but I'm talking about Fred's compositions. Uh, it was really, really nice. Yeah, we only had to wait until um, I'm looking for Dana here until 1994 to hear this one. <laughs> yeah, that was real quick, huh? <laughs> Emma, uh, well, it happened. Let's say that. It yeah, happened. yeah, definitely. Um, I'm holding up uh, this boot was made for funk and Bootsy. You're you're on this one, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. So I probably played with Bootsy more than anybody when you, when you think about it, because even the 2000 when I was did the uh, Best Award show with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Snoop Dogg. Uh, that's only because of Bootsy, you know. I mean, those things that have happened in the the, the uh, European tours that, that he took me on, that's all Bootsy, and uh, I'm very thankful that he, he did have me come along with those. Did, did you guys pay much attention to, uh, you know, other great horn sections of the era, like Cool in the Gang or Earth, Wind of Fire and Tower of Power? Did you feel like there was a little bit of a rivalry, or no, no? Each each of them had their own unique thing going on. Uh, Tower of Power probably would have been the closest to the kind of stuff that James Brown, you know, did. But you know, it's, it's still different. It's uh, uh, a little more complicated, I think. Yeah, in, in some ways, it's. <laughs> was it Greg Adams, uh, the horn player that was the Ranger? Um, very good, but he's not Fred. I'm sorry. 
as far as funk goes, Fred stands, you know, above everybody. And Mayfield, yes, Mayfield's great, and it was very smart for them to, you know, hang out together for so many years. They rubbed off on, on each other. So, have you ever heard? Have you ever heard any recordings that Mayfield did with James when he played tenor? Well, probably. I mean, I have pretty much all James's recordings. Um, well, this is after James, evidently. Uh, Fred, we were in the Fred's car one time, and he, he started playing this tape. And I'm saying, wow, who is that? Man, that's a really good tenor sound. He said, it's Maceo. <laughs> I said, what? He was awesome, man. I mean, I've heard some good things. Pee Wee's a great tenor player. Uh, Sal Nestico was a great tenor player. Stan Guess was a great tenor player. But, you know, there have been some great ones, but Mace was right up there. I mean, like Coltrane, it was, it was serious. <laughs> kind, of, kind of freaked me out. Wow, he, dab he dabbled in some flute too, didn't he, Maceo? Yeah, he did a little bit of that. Uh, not, you know, the. Not to the level of what he was back in the day when he's playing uh, tenor, though. But yes, he, he's uh, you know he'll do whatever it takes to make it work. You know, I mean he's he's honed his sets. If you listen to any of those sets that he's done in the last few years or the last twenty years, for that matter, it's it's really good. And you know he deserves the accolades that he has gotten. He worked hard. He's beat at it. You know, I take my hat off to him. He's a he's a good man. Well, he's he, it's a re, there's a reason why there's only one person that blew for uh, James uh, Clinton and Prince. <laughs> yeah, Maceo. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's he's, he's quite wonderful. And that's the thing, you know, being surrounded by that stuff. You know, it's, you can't help but be affected by it. And um, learn since like Bill Chase, you know. I mean, I had the maybe the best trumpet player in our time, but he was the uh, you know, leader of the band. And, and you know, on my right there was uh, Alan Ware, who was in Berkeley, and on my left was Jerry Van Blair. And maybe one of the top three jazz players at that time. I mean, he was awesome but then the whole whole section as a whole and teddy pierceville was on there before was, was a maynard student and uh i mean they, it was just everything was just very high level and that kind of spilled over into why Horny horn sounded like it did it was not normal it wasn't like cool in the game and with the other bands i mean it was unique why? Why did it come to a, a close for you with uh, P Funk um, back in the late seventies or eighty, whenever it was? Well, uh, the last one of the last things uh, was when Kush called me to go uh, join Marvin. Um, I don't know whether we just got to the point where we said, you know, enough's enough. Well, we want we want to do our own thing, so he and I kind of stepped away. Um, I don't know if that was a brilliant move, <laughs> looking back on it, uh, but we did it. So we uh, got to do the Marvin, one of the last tours of Marvin, which was, you know, that was spectacular. 
that DVD, if you've seen that, is it's pretty pretty great. And think of you know we're right on Miles Davis Boulevard there at the Montreal Jazz Festival. You know, there's a lot of good stuff happened on the you know because of certain individuals and whether it was Kush or Fred, uh, Mace or Bobby Bird. I mean, that's another person we didn't say anything about. Uh, would have done that if if Kush hadn't been sick. Um, that was some really good shows. I mean, Pee Wee Ellis, uh, Maceo, Fred, definitely myself with the heart section. Very good. Very good. I mean, it's like they're all of them, you know, world class. Was Marv, was Marvin the best singer that you ever performed with, or was there someone in P Funk that was as good as Marvin Gaye? Well, you know the answer to that. You know that, I mean, and Glenn Goins was the greatest singer that I ever heard, period. So I'm going to make him say it like that. The first weeks there with him uh, in the front of Parliament, uh, I mean, I was almost, uh, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like you were in the presence of an angel. The sound that he produced radiated out of his body in all directions. The floor actually shook. His voice was like nobody else's. I mean, uh, Donnie Hathaway had a beautiful voice, but Glenn and, and Luther, for that matter, but Glenn, it was just, I don't know, because he had a big head, I don't know what the reason was, but it was just awesome. And he was a wonderful young man, just wonderful. What a tragic yeah, loss that was, you know. When, when, he, when he did the uh, Mothership stuff uh, in the live shows, it was just, it, I mean, man. Incredible, incredible. Yeah, just just being, I mean, you're talking to people that have been gifted, you know, with all these people you've interviewed, you know, they, they've all been on stage with some great people, but things have happened to them because of these great people, and uh, they've grown or gone out here to the next dimension, <laughs> depending on, uh, you know, when their time was. But, uh, you know, going back with Ray, Ray Davis, uh, you, you see all the different ones that, that were so freaking, Bernie and him both were just muscular, strong people back when we were doing this at, at the high level. And then as time went on, you know, then things happen and, and they die. And it's like, they left some history. You know, that's, I mean, you gotta say it like that. These people, you know, went to the mat. They did everything that they could, and then they moved on, you know. Rick, I have some other credits for you, and I want to find out if they're real and what you remember from that. Um, <laughs> SOS band in 1980? Yeah. Um, again, because of Fred. Um, and... They did their business good. That's another thing. You, 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 you don't think about this stuff at the time because you know, think you're going too fast. But I have gotten some residual checks from that time with them. And I think that is just amazing. You know, uh, performance royalties. And uh, so, yeah, you know, I'm all about them. And uh, well, also new, I'm so glad. Also, uh -huh. new, also new birth. Well, New Birth, that's, that's close to my heart. That's James Baker. And uh, I was staying at his house then when he passed. 
you know, it's like it's just like blood. It was like he was. We did a lot. We did that's the, you know the the horn section with their horn section did quite a bit of stuff for them. And uh, like I said, I was living there, and he was recording some of my music, and I was doing some parts for them. And uh, Dr. Dre's dad, this is how crazy life is. Um, I go, I go back to Las Vegas, uh, and I get a call halfway between LA and, and Las Vegas saying, James has passed away. I'm going, what? I was just there. He had just laid down for a nap and never woke up. He had an aneurysm. Mm. But that week, we were supposed to get a deal for the stuff that we had been doing, myself and uh, a keyboard player. It was very, very good. <laughs> so anyway, that all went up, you know, and, and smoked uh, because he passed away. And But that's the kind of connections, you know. And, and James Baker and Kush grew up together. I mean, it's, it's almost like the family and Johnny Graham from Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's, you know, they were all, they all grew up together. And uh, it just, it's, it's a lot. I mean, when, when you start thinking about all the different relationships uh, that have, you know, all the different members of all the different groups, you know, you think about all those people that you've been blessed with. It's pretty awesome. What, what area did they grow up in? Louisville, Kentucky. Huh. Yeah, you know, Chris fired with Ali. <laughs> That's how down home he was. He, did you know he was a, a linebacker for Southern Illinois before he went with James? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was awesome. He could take 100-pound weights, one in each hand, and just lift them up like they were air at that time. Huh. You also uh, played with Osiris? Uh, who I've had on the show. Yeah, um, again, a Fred, Fred session. And um, I don't know if people may not know that I, I was contracted for him for a while. Uh, did quite a few different sessions. Osiris, I, 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 I think I was just a player on that, but um, Fred let me do some uh, contracting for different acts. And, uh, you know, to do this, in other words, get the musicians from the L.A. Uh, local and, you know, put it together with uh, the label. Uh, that was that was an interesting experience. Uh, he was trying to do good. And uh, some of them turned out pretty cool. And that's one of them. I think that was a really good uh, record there that Osiris did. Yeah, Osiris was on to something, but never got, you know, the promotion, really, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably too heavy for the, the norm. You know, it's like Egyptian, uh, anything has to do with that type of thing, you know, people don't want to hear it. And yet it is so relevant. Yeah, he hooks up to George really good. When <laughs> you think about it, the uh, aliens and the uh, ancient uh, Egyptians, that all kind of the same vibe. And you also played with, the, uh, or at least on the record, for the Chili Peppers? No, I don't think I did any recording with them. I did some gigs there. Um, I was thinking about that earlier. <laughs> My mom was at the show in LA, and uh, you know how they they do sometimes get naked. <laughs> I remember 
uh, he walked backstage and walked right past my mom. And I thought, I wonder what she thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they, they burned it. I mean, the horn section with them, that was Maceo, uh, said and me, uh, it was awesome. I mean, it was, got some really tough, tough licks. Did you know Flea was a cover player? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, they bragged on him and, uh, uh, about how great he was when he first, you know, started, and the fact that he was that great a bass player too, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, you played uh, on Lenny Williams' record, or Larry Williams? I'm sorry, Larry Williams. Uh, that doesn't ring a bell. Um, although there are two Larry Williams, one was the C C Lynn keyboard player, and the other one was a a friend of Fred's that did um, really exceptional writing. He was like doing commercials for Revlon and Disney when when I think he was the keyboard that went to Africa with us. Uh, he was pretty brilliant, yeah. You worked with uh, another bass player, Dodge? Well, that probably was something to do with Muddy. Uh, I'm thinking that's uh, Grand Slam guys. Um, yeah, that, that could be. I just don't know. They did some sort of a compilation album. And I think I had a couple of tracks, so it might, they might think that, you know, it's the same thing, but I think it was just a compilation deal. What about, but, you know, it could be. <laughs> you never know about that stuff. What about Brian Culbertson? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that, that was a legit session. Um, that was some. That was some pretty nice playing on that. On that, I, I can't remember if it was we did it at or where, but uh, yeah, I remember uh, Pat talks about it every once in a while. She thinks that she likes that. She, I guess, she liked him. Uh, it, it sounded to me. You know, wasn't it? Wasn't Maurice involved in that, or one of your one of the people? I'm not sure, but he did have like an all star cast. I know that. Yeah, so so there you go. <laughs> the good guys were playing, and you know it's it's great to you know to have these experiences and these. Uh, uh, it's like the kids kind of paying homage to the old guys, you know. That's that's kind of cool. So, what what have you mostly kept busy with, Rick, um, from a musical standpoint? Um, you know, during the uh, last couple of decades, really. Yeah, that's just been basically writing. I went out and play. Well, there, there were a few things here locally that I went and dabbled in, but uh, U.S. Pipe was one of them, and, and that, that band is pretty decent. Um, Citrus, I guess, was used to play for George, guitar for George at, at a certain point. Uh, he was the leader of the band. Uh, and then... The rhythm section, well, that basically was a, was a nice band, but uh, as local bands go, you know, they, you know, personalities flare up and, and people break up and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that lasted for a while. And then, of course, when George came or comes here, I try to sit in with him. But as far as performance out on the, you know, doing stuff, oh, and Danny Bedrosian came through. Uh, we did some playing with him. It was like just a gig thing. And that was the, the, 
drummer and bass player from the U.S. Pipe that backed him up. He was, he was really good. <laughs> Well, and you also did some of your own records. You did the Gardner of Funk, the Rubber Horn, and Moodstream, right? Yeah, yeah. There've been uh, I did five sketches, five CDs of that, and then the, where it starts, uh, I guess, upgrade of, of production or whatever. Uh, those are basically on the Rubberhorn.com, uh, CD Baby. And then uh, most of the stuff now is being submitted uh, for music licensing. So I kind of gear the compositions to that. Not always, but you know, a lot. Because some of the stuff has become uh, an electronic kind of strange, uh, dark uh, kind of stuff. So it's been a, a mixture. I think it's about 500 tunes now that, that we have um, somewhere wow. in that neighborhood. What are, what are they that, used for commercials and, and, and TV stuff like that? Or? Yeah, that, it'd be, it would be um, TV spots. Uh, we, we did land a, a TV spot here a little while back. And then what I've been basically trying to do is get a film, you know, like a background track on a film. And uh, it's rough. I mean, there's literally millions of people doing this. So, uh, if you don't hit it, you know, exactly like what they're wanting at that time. And it doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just timing, you know. They they got to go fast. The music supervisors have to go fast. It's a business. And you can't get too... I mean, you can get crazy because they do ask for Coltrane and stuff like that, but uh, it's rare. You know, most of the stuff is just the vocals, uh, pop-type vocals, and... Uh, you know, that, that is not happening <laughs> over here. <laughs> so strictly uh, uh, either orchestration, uh, Berkeley-ish type of stuff, or classical uh, electronic uh, music, and then, uh, you know, the horn stuff, like the later Rubber Horn Chilled, that I think kind of typifies a style that seems right uh, for me. Uh, it's a little more on that uh, down temple chill side. I mean, the uh, guns blazing and all that stuff. Um, yes, we still do that. There's some time, and I've got like a, 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 I think I sent you a track of you know, Night in Tunisia, uh, just to show, you know, that music, musicians do a lot of different kind of things. And uh, being in tune with Diz and Miles, you know, that kind of keeps you grounded, that uh, you're not too far from center. How how often do you play on a typical week? I mean, do you play how regularly? Almost every day. Um, but it, it's tracking, you know, it's um, when I write parts, you know, then I just I'll either transcribe them or, or, you know, write them as I'm going. And uh, that's about it. Uh, as far as like doing. Uh, scales and chords and stuff, you know, like the, the basic stuff. I, I do feel like I need to get back into doing some of that, but this it's a time factor. Pat and I both work and uh, keep, you know, keep a house and, and uh, yard and all that stuff. It's very time consuming. So uh, you do it as much as you can. Yep. There's a thing called life. A <laughs> <laughs> thing called life. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, 
I, I have a, a. I wanted to ask you: Were you surprised at all, or are you surprised at all, with the the longevity and legs that the body of work that you are part of through P Funk has endured, like it has? You know, ended up getting sampled and forming sort of almost the basis of a lot of hip hop. You know, did did you have any expectations no, that that it would be such a impactful? No, no, no. But meeting Snoop Dogg and uh, I think I was there uh, one time when Boots got a call from one of the rappers, Ice Cube or one one of one of the guys, and uh, you know. It's only logic when you think about what George and Bootsy were saying. I mean, Bootsy basically was a whole band in one when you think about it. I mean, he had, he had the, the rap down. He had the uh, groove down. He basically could make a thing happen just on his own. And he lyrics the whole nine yards. Uh, so I think that it's, it's, and George, of course, is so creative that the stuff, you know, the doggy stuff that he did, <laughs> Bow Well, Yippee Yippee, that, that kind of thing. I mean, that's just genius stuff. And, uh, it does, no, it doesn't surprise me. I, I think they were just, um, I mean, honored to have been part of it. I mean, they honored me with all these, uh, I'm looking at all the stuff you were talking about flashlight, fucking telekey, the placebo syndrome. Uh, Gloria Howe, Stupid, Mothership Connection, The Motor Booty Affair, Parliament Live, Earth Tour, Terry Ruth Off and Circle, The Clones of Dr. Frankenstein, All the Name is Bootsy, and Bootsy's Your Brand Player of the Year. Gold records and platinum records from that. So, yes, I, I, I'm glad and I think that it makes sense. It was that good. What, what are you most proud of uh, accomplishing in your musical career? Well, um, oh, it's it's funny. It's not much to what I had to think about it, but it's it's when people come up to you, like uh, just normal people, and, and we'll strike up a conversation, and they will comment on that era, and some even before. You know, when I played with other bands before, they knew who that was. They you know they knew me in that particular light and it's today man <laughs> i mean you're talking about grandchildren grandchildren you know they're saying oh yeah my grandma they they used to listen to that music yeah they really like that and it's hard for your your, your brain to process this stuff coming at you you're going i'm old <laughs> <laughs> I, I have aged the things that you know but what you're saying is in reference to uh, did I believe it would last? I don't think I had a you know handle on that other than it was clear to me like people like Glenn Goins and uh, all all the uh, funkadelic type of folk um, they were exceptional even like Tiki and uh, well Tiki particularly the one that, that was one of the first people I met when I first got there uh, with George. And he didn't last very long, because uh, of his uh, heroin uh, deal. But he just played with Miles. I mean, you know, that's what I'm saying. This is this is Pat calling. Let me uh, tell her I'm still online. Okay. 
I'm on the line with Scott. Okay. <laughs> she she checked in. All right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, is that you got enough, or you need more perspective, or what? Uh, well, I had just a couple more questions, Rick. If that's okay. That's fine. Um, what 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 was like? Um, do you think the craziest thing you ever encountered being part of the P Funk mob? You know what? Whether it was, um, you know, drug oh, related. Oh, it's easy. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's easy. It's an easy answer. I'm, I'm picturing one of the first times that um, P Funk got. I laid eyes on me, and I'm talking about the band, the P-Funk band, Parliament guys. For the first time that they laid eyes on me, I was just, I was in between Fred and Macy, and we were playing this abandoned house, and it was raining. It was kind of like everything was shaking, and uh, Shider came up to Fred. I mean, Shider was like excited, you know, he was like, "What is this? Who is this? You know, and why?" And uh, Fred Mayfield, you know, <laughs> told him the story of what was happening. My understanding is that most of, most of these guys had had not been around too many white people, and especially not white musicians. It was like kind of a weird thing. So the, when we first met, it was kind of stark. You know, there for a while, it was like, well, this is really weird. And then we got to hugging. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the difference between when we first met and then it was just a little bit later. It was like everything had just completely settled into the groove and everybody was happy with it. But at first it was like, what is happening here? It was kind of like when we played the uh, Soul Train and those, those cameramen refused to shoot me. They, you know, they panned over the band, but only a couple of, of the end uh guys were shooting because they you know basically it was it was uh you know a soul soul deal so there was all of that stuff going on and people don't realize that you know the p-funk was part of changing folks minds you know they they, they're uh awesome guys and do kind of crazy stuff but basically they came from the church they're, they're good people. They are trying to do something to lift up humanity. So that's what I think about that. Yeah, I was curious about the race side of it too, Rick, because, you know, when I, I mentioned that show at the forum in 78, and really there were 17,505 people, it was a sellout. And um, I was the only white face I saw in that whole crowd. So um, it definitely was a, a, yeah. black, a black phenomenon at that time. Yeah, it was, and uh, George wrote it out and then changed it, changed the vibe, and somehow the younger folks started picking up on the vibe, and it's like, man, he was having uh, white and uh, with a few sprinkles of, of black in his audiences there for a while. So, yeah, things, things have definitely changed since back in the day, but, you know, we're happy that that is the case. It had to. There was too many terrible things, like Ku Klux Klan uh, trying to stop stop us down south. It was it was some very very tense stuff, but you know, just it's just part of life. What um, piece of of P funk music um, do you feel 
you shined on the best? Oh, I don't know. The, the boutique stuff there in the beginning, uh, it was pretty awesome. Uh, but again, the, the tunes on Dr. Funkenstein, as far as uh, performing and, and, and being at a level, that was very good. The, the Chase the Chase band, however, uh, Bill Chase is maybe the, the best arranger of, of, of brass that I had ever been around before Fred. Um, he was incredible. So just let me say that the, that section was awesome. I mean, it was really, really, really good. And it was trumpets instead of having the bone, although we did add a bone uh, going when we did uh, South Africa. They added a trombone player from Wayne Cochran. Um, and, and then there was a flute player. So at different times, it had a little bit different texture, but basically it was a build on four trumpets and a, and a lead guy. And that harmony was very unusual, very good. Do you have any advice for young people who might be considering, you know, playing a horn instrument today? Uh, as my teacher, Cusco, said, always have something to fall back on. In other words, yes, if you have the talent, uh, you can go for it, but you need to have an education. You need, you need to uh, keep an open mind to the fact that you know, uh, go on YouTube, look around, look the net over and, and see what your competition's like. If you think you can hang and, you know, pursue it with a vengeance, uh, look in the Berkeley School of Music. There's, there's, different, there's ways of making the thing work, but you got to have that spark, the, the thing that, that drives you when everything is not hunky-dory, everything is bad. You know, you still got to go forward and, and, and keep your craft up to a certain level. So I would say, yeah, always have something to fall back on, whether it's a straight gig or just preparing yourself, you know, for all kinds of occasions which you know are coming. You know, Rick, you even uh, received a credit, I think, for um, the last Funkadelic album that finally came out a few years back, Shake the Gate. Um, do you know, was that just from stuff that goes way back or did you do something more recently or? What's the story? No, that has to be way back. That has to be way back. And I wasn't even aware that they had done that. Um, I'll tell you, though, almost every night, all the years that I played with them, <laughs> I, I, I jammed with Funkadelic. Uh, to me, that, that, that rhythm section was just, it was breathtaking, the stuff that they were doing. Um, you know, part of the obviously was wonderful too, but the, the Funkadelic rhythm section was just powerful. And uh, it was a pleasure, uh, you know, watching Mike and Mikey Hampton grow up, you know, I'm saying, and now as an older fellow, it kind of makes me laugh because he was like 15, I think, when I first met him. And uh, Kid Funkadelic, and he, it's, it's, it's uh, amazing. There's somebody that hung in there. Yeah, he's one of my favorite all-time guitar players, actually. Um, well, I love him. He's just, just a wonderful kid. And, of course, he's not a kid now. But I'm saying, from my perspective back then, he was like 10 years younger than me. Uh, I was just amazed. I was freaking... I mean, I, when I say Mikey, then all of a sudden I'm seeing uh, 
the, the, the cover of the LA Times where he has Mike right in the center and I'm right to, to his side and Chris is right next to me and then Fred down there. You know, they, that was the, the, the picture on the LA Times, the cover when we did that show or that LA show. I'm not sure if it was one you're talking about, but one of them. Wow. And I was just, I was just all the way into that, that, uh, when we first started that energy right there at the beginning, it was just unbelievable. It was, it was just wonderful. Hey, back with the good doctor here at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. I think he saved one of his best stories for last in describing how he ingratiated himself among George Clinton's group. If you see that, if you talk long enough, all the good stuff eventually comes out. That's what Truth and Rhythm is all about. Much like P-Funk, it's uncut, the bomb of interview shows. A huge thanks again to my special guest, Rick Gardner, the talented trumpet technician and court member of the Horny Horns. You know, we've had Fred and Rick on for Truth and Rhythm. And so in case you're wondering, I am continuing to push hard for Maceo Parker. His relentless touring schedule has made it challenging, but you can best bet I will keep pushing that to get Maceo on the show. I want to thank all of you, the viewers and listeners and supporters of the program for that continued support and interest. Tell a friend, tell family, and subscribe. Subscribe to the uh, Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube and uh, tell a friend if you haven't uh, already done so. You need that support. Show these funk artists being jazz artists that you are serious, how much these artists have meant in your life, how much you love the music, how important it is to all of us, to the world, if you will, and beyond. Also, write me. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know what's on your mind, musically speaking or otherwise. I promise you, you will hear back. And if you're a funk artist or a jazz artist or R&B artist, who wants to be on the show, drop me a line as well. Email the address you should be seeing on your screen. And so with that, time once again to sign off. Scott Dr. Jake Goldfine saying, keep on vibrant to the rhythm of the one, baby. Yeah. <laughs>